Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined as always by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And tonight, as we record, uh, tonight is Friday, October 20th. The Cavaliers will take on the Indiana Pacers in their final preseason game. And then here we go. The regular season will start on Wednesday night as the Cavaliers take on the Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. And then they will have their home opener on October 27th. That's also one week from today. I believe it's against the Oklahoma City Thunder, 7 o'clock on, or 7.30. It might be 7.30 um, at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. So this season is getting underway. Whether you're ready or not, here it comes. And uh, Chris, I'm sure you're ready. You've been at the facility plenty. I have not made my way over there yet, but I definitely will be there for opening night. Um, what are the vibes? What are the vibes going into the season? I mean, obviously they're playing their last season game tonight so they kind of got to be ready for the real thing here soon yeah they do and the home opener is friday october 27th but the opener the season opener is on yeah, the road wednesday. against brooklyn wednesday so i mentioned now you weren't listening i was listening i'm saying that is the date uh, that matters the most to the Cavs when it comes okay. to jared allen's potential availability when it comes to the excitement surrounding the season when it comes to preparation for that game um, that one is coming fast. It is less than a week away now, Hayden. And I think the vibes are, we've got a shot. Like, that's the feeling around this team is they understand everything that went into their loss against the Knicks in the playoffs. And they're looking to show that they're more than just one bad series in the playoffs, one bad matchup against one team. Part two. After I finished. That's what they're trying to show. Um, and they've got an opportunity to do that this year, they believe, with a better roster, um, with a different style offensively, and with a lot of motivation because of what happened um, a couple of months ago in the NBA playoffs. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I think for, and maybe it's the vibe for the team is different than us. But I guess for the vibe for me would be like, let's just, let's see, like, let's see it, you know? Um, let's see how much better they got. Let's see how much better Evan Mobley is. Let's see yep. how much better this this team is with Niang and with Max Truce. I mean, let's go. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's something that we have to see. It's something that they have to see. They have to stay committed to some of these stylistic changes that they're making. Um, but there is a belief within the organization. There's a belief coming from the players that they've got a real shot at this thing. And I think everybody understands just how great the Milwaukee Bucks look on paper. They added Dame Lillard. I think everybody understands how great the Boston Celtics look on paper. Are you kidding me? And they've got Porzingis that allows them to play a different style. And of course, they added Drew Holiday, who is an elite on-ball defender who's got championship experience, big game experience. So the path to them winning the Eastern Conference is obviously not going to be one that is going to be smooth and it's just going to be um, adverse free and very, very easy to win 50 plus games. Um, but they believe in the talent that they have. They believe in the roster that they have. They believe in the style that they want to play with more pace, with more space with Evan Mobley being more involved on the offensive end, with more diversification on the offensive end, with more disguise on the offensive end. Like all these different things make the Cavs believe 
that we've got a real shot at this thing and we are ready to take the next step as an organization. Right. I mean, it makes sense. Um, You talked about Jared Allen a little bit, um, obviously a big part of this Cavaliers team. Uh, What's the vibe on him? What's the uh, what's the news on him as we go into Wednesday? I mean, obviously, you know, the Cavaliers would be a very different team if Jared Allen was not a part of it. So Thursday, he did more than what he's been able to do. Um, A lot of his rehab and his recovery, Hayden, has been like gravity treadmill, um, pool work. They've been trying to minimize how much just impact his foot, his ankle will take when it comes um, to keeping up his conditioning and keeping up his recovery. So there hasn't been a ton of on-court stuff. He still has not practiced officially since they shut him down. Um, about two weeks ago, his reevaluation is going to come this weekend to see how much progress he has made. But Thursday before they left for Indy, um, it was a pretty big step for him because he was back on the court. He didn't practice, but following practice, he was able to get back on the court. He was able to do some big man shooting drills. He did some hook shots. He did some mid-range shots. He did some free throw shooting. And then after practice, when everybody else had already left and probably went to go pack their bags or drive to the airport or whatever, um, Jarrett was the last person on the court, and he was doing some, like, pivoting, some lateral stuff, some three-point shooting. He was simulating pick-and-pops and pick-and-rolls and and elbow jumpers and face-ups. And it just seemed like he was trying to test how much his ankle could handle the sharp movements, the cutting, the pivots, the increased exertion and the pounding um, that, that he wasn't really doing at the beginning of his recovery. So, look, they're not going to rush this. Um, no games have been played in the regular season I don't think they're looking at October 25th as like some drop dead date or some um, ticking clock or anything along those lines. If he could be back for the regular season opener, that would be great, but it's not the playoffs. Um, So I think they're going to try and be as smart about this as possible. And if he feels right and he feels like he can be effective coming back and there aren't going to be any setbacks, then I think they'll give him the green light. Um, But even though there is optimism right now, um, even though the signs point to him being ready for the opener, um, nobody has come out and said that officially because I don't think anybody wants to put that level of pressure on this this particular situation. Yeah, and you also don't right. It's it's the regular season, and the NBA regular season is pretty long, as we know. Eighty-two so games. No need it to rush him back April. for game one. There's a eighty-one more, and again, eighty right. Maybe right. June. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. So definitely yeah. don't want to rush him back, and especially because especially because this season you're looking at you know an opportunity for the Cavaliers to make playoffs, and you know that's the goal. That's the aim is to win playoff series. So the reg- I'm not saying the regular season doesn't matter because it does. You want to win games and you got to get you know a good seating in the postseason. But you know for the early in the regular season, if there was ever time to sit Jared Allen, I think it would be this time right here. Yeah. Again, if he can't go, if he can't be as effective as he wants, if he's going to be limited, if there's any kind of fear of a setback or a re-injury or something along those lines, then sure, yeah, take that kind of approach. But if he feels like he can go and there aren't any of those concerns, then there's no harm in bringing him back either. The thing that I will say is that 
you know, not that they're better equipped to handle his kind of loss because he's so integral to what they do offensively and defensively. Um, but they have more playable options this year. And I think of all the things, Hayden, that we have talked about with the new additions of Max Struess, Ty Jerome, George Niang, Damian Jones, we've talked about the spacing. We've talked about the shooting. We've talked about how those guys can raise their offensive ceiling. The one thing that I don't think we've talked about enough is that J.B. Bickerstaff as a coach now has options available to him that are good and that can give him something different. You know what I'm saying? Like so many times we were talking about last year. Well, if J.B. goes to Lamar Stevens, that's fine because he gets toughness, he gets leadership and he gets defense, but he's losing something on the offensive end. Right. Well, if JB goes to Jetty Osman, okay, he's getting some movement. He's getting some three point shooting. He's getting some transition attacks. He's getting some uh, floor spacing. But like Jetty's a problem defensively and he can't hold up at the power forward spot and like all those different things. So, like every move that JB Vickerstaff was looking at last year when it came to his lineups and his combinations. Once he got deeper into his rotation, it was like an either or proposition. Now it seems like, okay, like nobody's saying Max Struess is the greatest defender in the world and nobody's saying that George Niang is the greatest defender in the world, but there are like more playable options and more combinations that JB can go to that don't have as many drawbacks as what um, he was faced with last year. And I think that's really, really important to talk about because we're sitting here, Hayden, we're a couple of days away from the regular season opener, and there's going to be somebody that deserves playing time that would probably get playing time on other teams around the NBA. Not every team around the NBA, but other teams around the NBA that is not going to be in the early season every night rotation because there's just not enough room for them. And that's a pretty good place to be. And I think that speaks to the added depth um, of this roster compared to years past. Okay, so let's look at it. Let's look at the rotation. What What is the early rotation for the Cavaliers at this point? Yeah, man, I think, look, the, the top eight are as obvious as they can possibly be, right? Mm-hmm. Without J.B. Bickerstaff coming out and saying it specifically, Everything that we have seen in training camp and everything that we have seen in the preseason has pointed us to it. Just look at the guys who got the bulk of the minutes um, when the games were at a point in the preseason when they mattered and they had some consequence, right? Um, It's Darius, it's Donovan, it's Max Struess, it's Evan Mobley, it's Jared Allen, and then the top three off the bench are going to be Karis LeVert, Isaac Okoro, and George Niang. Now, look, like Okoro is an interesting situation because we've talked about um, his still developing offense, teams just ignoring him from the perimeter. But one thing that I think has become obvious is that they need his perimeter defense. That is an asset to this team. That is a value to this team. He can handle matchups that nobody in that starting five can, right? Um, yeah. So he's still going to be an important piece. Maybe he doesn't play starters minutes. Maybe he doesn't consistently stay 
in um, the eight-man rotation because they're too concerned about his offense that doesn't come or he's not giving them enough at that end of the floor to justify what he's giving defensively. But from the very beginning of the season, Hayden, they need his toughness. They need his defense. I think he's going to benefit from their up-tempo style because he can get some playmaking opportunities. He can get out in transition, get some easy baskets, doesn't get bogged down in the half court, and all that kind of stuff. So Levert, Okoro, and Niang are the top three off the bench. And then I think the ninth spot is just going to depend, well, the ninth and the tenth spot is just going to depend on what do the Cavs need. If they need some size, then it's Damian Jones, right? If they need a little bit of floor spacing and some three-point shooting and some defensive versatility, then I think it's Dean Wade because he can play the three and the four because he is healthy now. He is confident now. Um, If they need an extra ball handler, then I think it's Ty Jerome. If they need some toughness, some grit, and and somebody just to, like, give them um, some stabilizing minutes at the backup big spot, then maybe Tristan Thompson gets dusted off. Um, but but I just think like nine ten is going to be flexible and relatively inconsistent, and it's just going to be about game situation, about matchups, about playing style, um, about are the Cavs trailing, are they leading late in games? Like all those different things are are going to play into it. But the nine ten, the candidates for nine ten, are Dean Wade. Uh, maybe Tristan Thompson, Ty Jerome for sure. Um, and then I think Sam Merrill, if they need just like shooting movement, if Max Struess is in foul trouble, something along those lines. With the backup point guard spot, we've talked about this a lot over the last couple of years. Um, do you think it's going to be a situation where Ty Jerome is going to take a majority of that? Or is it going to be something to where, you know, Darius and Donovan kind of are um, used at different points? Um, with Ricky Rubio remaining kind of out and what's that? Maybe you have an update on Ricky. I don't, I haven't seen anything. I don't have a huge grasp on this situation. I think it's one of the things Hayden that, that JB Bickerstaff is still trying to figure out because there are two sides to this, right? There's the side that you talked about Mm -hmm. because you have Darius and you have Donovan and they handle so much responsibility on the offensive end and you have Karis Levert who can handle and play, make and run an offense from time to time. And I asked JB Bickerstaff about his confidence and, and Karis playing de facto point guard. And he said, sure, I have confidence in it. I've seen it enough. So I just think like there are other options that are already within the rotation. I think they feel they can get away with staggering those guys. And then if it means splitting up Darius and Donovan Mitchell at like the eight minute mark of the first quarter, so that somebody comes in, one of those two, comes in to anchor the second unit. I think it's a, I think it's an option for the Cavs, and I think it's a pretty good option for the Cavs, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, if Karis LeVert has to play de facto point guard and get the team in sets and make sure they're pushing the pace the way that they want to and make sure there's enough ball handling out there um, besides some of the second... Um, the 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 second unit players, then I think it's something that the Cavs would consider. But like the other layer to this whole thing is, 
They signed Ty Jerome for a reason. And J.B. Bickerstaff has raved about him throughout the course of training camp in the preseason. About his headiness, about his steadiness, about his three-point shooting. And it's like having him out there, one, it gives them an extra ball handler. But it gives them some floor spacing and some shooting as well. He's willing to mix it up on the defensive end of the floor. He's got more size. So that's a benefit. He can play the one or the two. So I think, like, J.B. Bickerstaff wants to find a way um, to get Ty some consistent minutes. And I think he sees him as enough of an asset and enough of a boost at both ends of the floor that I think he's going to get an opportunity, at least from the very beginning, to show whether or not he's ready to be a backup point guard in the NBA. Because it's not something, it's not a role that he's had consistently since entering the league in 2019. Now, there are reasons for that, of course, but the reality is, throughout most of his career, he's been a third guard, not a backup point guard. Right. Right. Well, again, maybe an opportunity to step up here as he right. enters uh, this season with Cleveland. Um, all right, we're get, we're kind of getting into season preview mode here um, as we you know are a couple days away. Um, so I, I think we're gonna. I want to focus on some season preview questions. Um, okay. You know, I think with with Darius and Donovan and and the guys with the four guys not named Max Struess, I think it's kind of easy to say like what's going to be different about who's going to be the X factor this year. Um, yep. At least in my mind, I think it's Max Drews. I think that's going to make a difference um, as to, you know, how well he plays um, is going to kind of change the trajectory of things. But, like, is there another X factor that maybe you're, that maybe, you know, goes beyond him um, as to how this team is going to run this year? And you're excluding the top four? I am. I am. Yeah. But because those guys are obviously so important to this, yeah. uh, to this team. Because I think the answer is Evan Mobley. Okay. And I think everybody inside the organization would admit that. Um, okay. If you ask players, if you ask coaches, if you ask people in the front office, like their ceiling, how good they can become is determined by how great Evan Mobley becomes. Wow. Is that, is that a lot of pressure? Yeah, but I think it's something that he has shown that he can handle. And I think if they felt like he had a different kind of demeanor, that they wouldn't throw around Anthony Davis, Giannis, Kevin Garnett, Chris Bosh, those kinds of comparisons. And yes. they wouldn't be calling him future Hall of Famer every single day that they see him. And if they wouldn't be telling him, like, we go as far as you go. Like, if they felt like he wasn't able to handle that kind of stuff, and if they felt like those things would be a detriment to him, then they wouldn't be saying those. But I think he has the kind of mentality he has the kind of demeanor where he can handle that. And it's, it's true. Like, yeah, if the Cavs are going to reach the ultimate goal, Evan Mobley has to be the guy. The guy. The guy. It can't the be number, Donovan. The, it can't be Darius. It can't be Jared Allen. It needs to be Mobley. Wow. It needs to be. Wow. That's, I mean, that's that. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been hearing a lot about Evan Mobley, but like to say that he needs to be the guy. Yes, he does. Over, over Donovan Mitchell. Yes. Over Darius Garland is yes. that's, that's a lot. Because if you think about what the playoffs are all about, if you think about the styles that are demanded in the playoffs, like it is very, very difficult, Hayden, 
Um, there are exceptions. There are always exceptions to anything. But it is very, very difficult to win an NBA championship with a guard as the centralized figure of your franchise. Are you saying he needs to be the best player? Yes, he needs to be the best player in this organization. Oh, man. He's, I mean, I don't like last year, he's probably the third best player, or maybe the fourth, right? Like, probably. I mean, probably third. so third. So they want him to take the leap from third to first. I'm saying if they're going to win a championship, that's what it's going to take. Wow. But what do you, what do you think that, I mean, can, can he do that? Can he take that step? Can he this be, year? I mean, Donovan Mitchell was, Donovan Mitchell was a, right. uh, you know, MVP candidate. Yeah. So, can, so maybe not this year, but in the next two years, Evan Mobley can do that. I absolutely think in the future, Evan Mobley has multiple all-star potential and MVP potential. Yes, I do believe that. Do I think it's going to happen this year? I have my doubts on that. I still think he needs to develop more significantly on the offensive end of the floor. I think he needs to get some counter moves. I think he needs to handle physicality better. I think he needs to get a jumper that is honored by the opposing defense. And that doesn't mean go out to the three-point line, but it needs to be a little bit more diverse in terms of his offensive package. He needs to have a tighter handle. He needs to make better decisions. Like all of those things I think can come in his future. I do think he has that kind of skill set. I think he has that kind of game, um, but he needs to show it at a more consistent basis. He is already, Hayden, an all-world defender. Third in defensive player of the year, first team all defense. Coming into this year, he's second in defensive player of the year odds behind Jaron Jackson Jr., who won the award last year. So, like, there are no questions about how he impacts possession to possession, game by game, on the defensive end of the floor. Like, he is already elite when it comes to multiple facets of the defense. Mm -hmm. Um, He needs to become that kind of dominant force on the offensive end or something close to a dominant force on the offensive end to complement that dominant defense as well. Um, I do think he's got the skill set. I do think he's got the talent. I think he's got the drive. I think he's got the ability to be that. Um, I'm very, very fascinated to see how he does this year, Hayden, when he's away from Jared Allen at times and long stretches during the game. I'm also very, very interested to see how he handles what's supposed to be an expanded role for him. The offense is going to run through him more. He's going to get more touches at the elbow, more touches in the post. There's going to be more space for him to operate because Max Struess is out there instead of Isaac Okoro and Karis LeVert. And like all these different factors play into how much more productive and effective he can be on the offensive end of the floor, he needs to capitalize on those increased opportunities. Um, And if he does, and if he starts to show better, more consistent signs on the offensive end, then I think it's, it's fair to start talking about future all-star appearances and getting in the MVP conversation and things along those lines. It's a very, very big year for Evan Mobley and his evolution on the offensive end. He knows so it. He, Everybody in the organization knows it. So the, 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 the basic is that 
this Evan Mobley is the most important player on the Cavs this year. Yes. I mean, he's the okay. most important player in the organization. Yep. Um, all right. Furthermore, preseason more. Or, uh, what, what do you, what are the expectations for Max Truce? I mean, I think it's, um, you know, are we expecting him to shoot 40% from the field or from three? Are we expecting, are we expecting him to, you know, add that level of offense? Is he going to do that? Or is this a situation where, you know, the heat, the heat culture just made him what he was and he's not going to do that in Cleveland. What are you, what are your early thoughts on, uh, on Max Truce? Hayden, I think just being here and being surrounded by the players that he's going to be surrounded by is going to make him better and it's going to make the Cavs better. And at some point, yes, he's got to make shots and we can talk about whether he's going to shoot 35% or 40%. But like his reputation at this point has been well-established. Opponents know what he's capable of and what he's not capable of. And every time he takes the court, because of what he's done in the past and because of the reputation that he carries with him, it's going to open up the offense for the entire Cavs team. And I think that's really, really important because with three-point volume, and he's going to hoist them, yep. with three-point volume comes gravity and space. And one of the things that he's just going to bring to the table that Isaac doesn't or can't is Max is going to take six to seven threes a night. And with that means the defense approaching the Cavs in a different kind of way. The defense making other decisions when it comes to, to, to how they're going to go about trying to slow down Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. It's like, if you want to shade away from Max Struess and give him the kind of space that teams were willing to give to Isaac Okoro, Karis LeVert, Jetty Osman, and Lamar Stevens, then okay, you have an elite three-point shooter that is going to get open three-pointers. Are you okay with that as a defense? And then you yeah. have to ask yourself, well, if we're going to stick on Max because we're concerned about him, because we don't want to give him the open threes, because we know what he's capable of, we know his reputation, then we're going to stick on him, and that's going to make things easier on Darius, Donovan, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen. That's going to create bigger lanes for Darius and Donovan to attack the rim. That's going to keep extra defenders from pushing Jared Allen in out of the paint, or Evan Mobley out of the paint. And it's just like, that effect, whether he's making shots or not, is something that I think everybody is going to feel just his presence alone is going to change how the Cavs can function on the offensive end. So to me, it's not as much about is he going to shoot 35% from three or 37% from three or 40% from three. It's his reputation. It's what he means to an opposing scouting report. It's where he appears on an opposing scouting report compared to the other options that were playing small forward for the Cavs. It makes sense. It makes sense. Darius and Donovan. Um, Donovan obviously coming off of it an MVP season, uh, or MVP caliber season. Um, Darius injuries, kind of a tough year last year. Not 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 terrible at all. Again, a good season for him. But um, are we expecting more of the same and maybe another a step forward from uh, from Darius Garland this year? I don't know if it's fair to say breakout season for Darius because he's already 
um, been an all-star. Mm-hmm. And he's already, it seems like, had that breakout season a couple of years ago for the Cavs. Yeah. But, like, I think he's going to be really good this year. Yeah. He's got a full year of learning how to play alongside Donovan Mitchell. He's mm-hmm. extremely motivated, given everything that happened in the playoff series against the Knicks, given his shortcomings in the playoff series against the Knicks. Like, he did not touch a basketball for about the first two months of the offseason because he was just living in the weight room. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to get physically stronger. And he was trying to prepare his body in a different kind of way because he knew what the playoffs demanded from him. He knew what the playoffs took out of him. And I also think, Hayden, he is as comfortable as I've ever seen him when it comes to his voice and taking ownership of this team. Like, we understand the role that Donovan Mitchell has for this team. We do. We understand his importance when it comes to this team. Mm -hmm. But Darius has this, this mentality of, I'm the leader, this is my team, this is my offense. Whether that's true or not, like, that's his mentality. That's fueling him. And that's the kind of approach I think he's going to take into this season. Um, And I think it can be a really, really big year for Darius. And think about this. This is something that is rare. Darius, even though he's 23 years old, Hayden, he is the longest tenured member on this roster. Wow. That is crazy. It's him and Dean Wade. Wow. So he feels like a level of responsibility and he understands how important he is to the Cavs' success. And I think he's going to take that to heart. Yeah, I mean, that, that would make sense. Okay, last year, I said five All-Stars for the Cavs. I'm reneging that down to one. <laughs> I'm going back to one All-Star for the Cavs, maybe two. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's just a numbers game, right? The East is so difficult to make the All-Star game. And every year, you have these guys um, that play like All-Stars. And they don't actually become all-stars because there just aren't enough spots. So, like, Dame came from the West to the East. He's going to take somebody's spot. Like, we talked about this before on the podcast. Mikkel Bridges is going to get all the opportunity in the world to put up big numbers for the Brooklyn Nets. And, like, gaudy stats on a team that could be like one of the overachievers in the Eastern conference. That'll get recognition. Like Giannis didn't go anywhere. Porzingis, I think is going to have a really impactful year for the Celtics. Tatum didn't go anywhere. Jalen Brown didn't go anywhere. Embiid is still around. Jalen Brunson is still around. So it's just like you start listing off all the other guys that are probably going to get locked in spots. And you say to yourself, like, What's the path for Darius to become the second all-star? What's the path for Evan Mobley to reach his goal in year three and become an all-star? And I just think it's it's going to be really, really difficult. Now, one thing that the Cavs will have on their side, Hayden, is I think they're going to be one of the best regular season teams in the East. So when you get close to the all-star break and the Cavs are either in the one, two, or three spot in the East, People might be looking at it saying, well, they deserve more than one all-star, don't they? 
Like we got to find a, a a way to get a second guy on that team, don't we? Um, oftentimes, like winning plays a big, big part in in whether a team has multiple all stars or not. So while the numbers are working against the Cavs and the level of competition is working against the Cavs, I think their ability to pile up wins and be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference is helping them. In saying all of that, I think it's one. I think it's Donovan Mitchell, who is the lone all-star for the Cavs. And that doesn't mean that other guys aren't going to play at that level. You mentioned it. The Cavaliers, you think the Cavaliers are going to be one of the best regular season teams in the NBA. So where does that leave them at the end of the year? What 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 record are we looking at with for the Cavaliers at the end of the year? Where are they going to be in the Eastern Conference? They won 51 games in the regular season last year. They were the four seed in the East. I consider them the third best team in the East behind Milwaukee and Boston. Um, I think <laughs> I think the East is so deep and so talented that like winning games even close to 60, as good as Boston and Milwaukee are, I think that's going to be a challenge. I just mm-hmm. think it's going to be a grind. And I can't remember, like, there were a couple of years ago where, like, it took 48 wins or something like that out of the Western Conference to get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think it could be a relatively similar situation when it comes to the East. Like, it might take an above 500 record to get into the play-in tournament. I think it can be that good. So even though the Cavs won 51 last year, and I think they're better, I'm not sitting here ready to guarantee that their win total is going to increase significantly. I think it could, and I think I have them projected around like 53, 54, but it wouldn't surprise me if the regular season win total is exactly what it was last year or maybe even less than it was last year. And that still being good enough for them to be the third best team in the East. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's just because of the, the, you know, the parody in the Eastern conference. I mean, you know, you're right. You're playing all these teams and like, there's going to be a lot of tough games. Yeah. A lot of and tough like, games. Washington's weird, right? They have Kuzma, they have Jordan Poole, and maybe they're a team that has individual players that put up big numbers and they just, like, it doesn't translate to winning basketball. But, like, I think Detroit's going to be better. I think they're more equipped to win games. I think Orlando is more equipped to win games. I think Indiana, which won 35 last year, went 35 and 47. Like, I think they're going to make a rise in the East. So even, like, the quote-unquote bad teams in the Eastern Conference – I don't think it's going to be, okay, we're just going to walk through those guys and we're going to bank a whole bunch of wins against those teams. Um, I I just think even those teams at the bottom of the East are going to be more competitive than what they've been in the past. Like there aren't enough spots for every team. There are only six locked in playoff spots. And then of course there are seven, eight, nine, 10 that are going to be competing in the play in tournament. But even the bottom of the East is is stronger than what it's been in years past. Yeah, I, it, I'm I'm right around I'm right around with you. I'm like 53 wins. I think that's a good number. But it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a grind. Uh, but you're right. I think the Cavaliers are going to be one of the best regular season teams. They're young. They're spry. They're they're ready to rock. Um, you know, I guess the question now is, 
and I don't even know if we have to do this because, you know, it's just about getting through the regular season first. But, you know, can they exceed that expectation? Can they exceed, exceed that, you know, first round playoff win? Can they, is that the goal? What is the, you know, where, where are they going to be able to do that? So I think we have to say this in, in fairness to the Cavs and, and they got manhandled in the playoffs against the Knicks. And it was a complete and utter disappointment given the way that the season ended. Yeah. But it's like. If they would have played Brooklyn in the first round of the playoffs, they would have gotten the series win. Yeah. Yeah. We're not having the same conversation. Um, so part of it may depend on who they play in the first round. Like, mm-hmm. is there another looming bad matchup out there for them that is just going to trip them up? Like Milwaukee faced a bad match as, as good as the Bucks were last year, as talented as they were. They got a bad matchup in round one. They had to play the heat. Like, are you kidding me? A round one matchup against Miami battle tested Miami with that coaching staff, that level of talent playoff. Jimmy bam out of bio. One of the best defensive players in the league. That was a tough matchup for Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's a situation where we just have to wait and see based on who the Cavs play against in round one. But I'll put it this way. Like they're better equipped in terms of the style that they can play. Um, I think the, the the different styles that they can play, like they don't only have to be one style, right? right. I think they can play fast or slow. I think they can play on the ball, off the ball. I think they can play heavy pick and roll, but I think they can also play like Evan Mobley and Jared Allen at the elbows. So I think because of their personnel changes, they're going to be more diverse in terms of how they can attack offensively. Um, I don't think they're going to take a significant step back on the defensive end. I think they could take a slight step back, but I don't think it's going to be a significant step back. Um, I also think like some of the the flaws that showed up against the Knicks, some, not all of them, were addressed, which is good. I think they're better equipped to win a seven-game series, but I'm not ready to sit here and say, no matter who they play in the first round, they're going to get past that team because they're not at that kind of level. Like if we were having any kind of conversation about Milwaukee or Boston or the Denver Nuggets um, in the West, I would sit here and say, like, they're almost a lock to get out of the first round because they're just that much better than everybody else in their conference. And the Cavs obviously aren't at that place. So I'm not ready to go there yet, but I'm ready to say that they're better equipped to win a seven game series and they have more diversity on the offensive end. They have a deeper roster. They have more playable options in a playoff environment. They're not going to be as reliant on some of the guys that they were reliant on in that seven game series against the Knicks. And I think the experience factor that was always problematic for the Cavs last year, that was always going to be one of their detriments, um, isn't going to be as significant as what it was um, last year because they got the kind of experience that um, they needed to get. And I think their guys are going to be better prepared for, for what it's going to take to win a series in April. 
Well, I'm excited. It's a big year. It's a big year for the Cavaliers. It's a big year for individual players. Like you mentioned, it's a big year for Evan Mobley, big year for Darius Garland, big year for Donovan Mitchell, big year for Jared Allen, big year for Max Truce. I mean, it's a big year for this Cavaliers team as a whole. So excited to see how they put it together, excited to see how it comes together um, and how this season kind of plays out. Uh, Chris, before we go, I mean, is there anything that you uh, that I missed that that or, or is it just ready to go for the regular season at this point? Well, it's a big year for J.B. Bickerstaff, too. Yeah, I'll say that um, because I think there are a lot of things that he has done well since taking over as coach and you can't downplay those things and you can't no. take those for granted. But but I think like if the Cavs as an organization and the players are going to get themselves to a specific level, like JB has to show that he can be a coach to get them to that level. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there are legitimate questions still lingering about that. Um, so he has to show, just like all these other players, that he is the right coach for them to take the next step as an organization. And, you and think I he think, will? I think one really good sign so far, Hayden, is that he has been willing to adapt on the offensive end as much as he has. Like last year, the Cavs played at the slowest pace in the entire NBA. You can say preseason, all the caveats attached to that. Go ahead. That's fine. And the Cavs have to prove it in the regular season, and they have to be consistent with it, and they have to stay committed to it. But in the preseason, they have played at one of the fastest paces in the league. Like, that is a stark difference, right? Last Mm -hmm. year, so much of everything that they did on the offensive end was pick-and-roll driven. We've talked about the reasons why, but it's different. It looks different. And those those changes that he's been willing to make on the offensive end, one, they're going to help this team. They're going to make this team better, but they show his willingness to adapt and evolve and listen to criticism and take the criticism and try and make changes. You know what I mean? And I think that's a really, really good sign. And I think that added on to the fact that, like you said, now he has some legit options, you know, in the bench. I mean, yeah. um, you know, that last year weren't as good. So I think that will definitely help as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's all part of it, right? Um, when when if if you're the organization and you're going into last year's playoffs and you sit there and you say, like, I understand we have flaws. They are this, this and that. Right. Then you're approaching your evaluation one kind of way. You're telling yourself in many ways, like we understand we have flaws. We understand that there are areas where we need to get better as an organization. But if you're the organization now and you're approaching this coming season saying, hey. We got you better depth. We got you more reliable bench scoring. We got you a starting caliber wing in Max Struess. We got you more floor spacing. We got you more shooting. Like, it doesn't mean that it's the perfect roster, right? And it doesn't mean that it's as good of a roster as Boston and Milwaukee and some of these other giants in the NBA. But I think this front office is saying, like, we're pretty good. From a talent perspective, from a depth perspective, like we accomplished the things we wanted to accomplish in the off season. Now it's on you to make the pieces fit right now. It's on you to coach your butt off in that seven game series and give us an edge that kind of way. 
And I think because the Cavs, as an organization, as a front office, feel like they fixed many of their flaws, there aren't as many like built-in excuses where you can say, well, we didn't do enough on our end because of this, this, and this. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, again, the, the front office did their job in terms of getting guys that they thought would that would kind of uh, help this team, and uh, now it's on them to go do it, and it's on the J.B. Baker staff to coach them up. So that'll start on Wednesday. Cavaliers taking on the Brooklyn Nets Wednesday, regular season opener, and then on Friday, as I mentioned, the Cavaliers will face the Oklahoma City Thunder in their home opener of the 2023 season. So it is here. Whether you're ready or not, like I said, it is here. Is coming, Chris. Safe travels to you to Brooklyn. Um, safe travels throughout the year to you. And um, now, again, speak or forever hold your peace before we start the NBA <laughs> regular season, 2023, nope. 2024. Ready to go, man. All right, ready to go. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And there is seriously no better time than right now, as the regular season is set to begin, to sign up for Chris's subtext. You'll get all the info, all the analysis, all the news sent straight to your phone for anywhere else. $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. Enter your phone number, and you'll be set to go. Exciting times. You'll get all the information that you need before anyone else, before it goes anywhere else. So, again, cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click, click the blue banner at the top of the page, and you will be sent all kinds of news, analysis, and info sent from Chris Fedor straight to your phone. Until then... We will talk to you soon on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Have a beautiful night. We will take. Uh, we will be with you that next week as the Cavaliers open their season. I will be there for opening night, so maybe we'll do a podcast podcast after the game. And um, it's go time. So th- thanks for joining us. We'll talk soon. Take care.